Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Man, it's so good to see you. How's everybody doing? My name is Caleb. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's been a, a few weeks for me since I spoke. Uh, I got sick. I was supposed to speak last week. And uh, I got sick and lost my voice, and so I, I gave Chrissy my notes, and she stayed up half the night, um, Saturday night, and then got up here and preached a fire word, but God knew what he was doing. Um, and so actually, she's spoken like two of the last three weeks, and we were at Starbucks yesterday, and this guy came up to us and was like, hey, I've been coming to your church the last few weeks. I, I love that you have a, a wife for a pastor, and uh, I just love that, that I keep serving your pastor wife, and he, he thought I had nothing to do with the church at all, and uh, he was like, man, help her take care of those kids. You keep serving the pastor wife. She is amazing preacher. I love coming to a church with a woman preacher, and I just let him think, like, I got nothing to do with it. I was like, yes, sir. She's amazing. God bless you, but if you're here in the house today, I, I do occasionally speak, um, Caleb's back. Just had to let him know. In fact, one of our staff told him, told me this week, I actually have been liking Chrissy more than you preaching. And so this has just been a humbling week for me. So I'm going to do my best this morning. But thankfully, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us, right, through his word. So it doesn't matter who's up here. It could be Kanye. It could be me. In fact, a lot of people say I remind that. No, I'm kidding totally joking. All right. Let's jump in here. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's okay to have fun in church, right? Um, so, so listen, we are starting an all-new series next week. If you didn't know, something we do at this church is we walk verse by verse through the scriptures. We've been going through the book of Mark. We are now to chapter 6, starting today. And uh, we've been doing this for the entire year. It'll take us two years to get through the whole book of Mark. But every once in a while, we take a break for a special series. And uh, starting next week, we're starting a series, Our Indomitable Future, All In So We Can Win. So here's what I believe. We are in a crucial moment in our church's history, in our city. Um, how many excited we just got an MLS team? Uh, okay. And how many of you know the kings need some prayer right now? We need to intercede for the Sacramento kings. But if you didn't know, we just got a building in old Sacramento. Um, it is seven blocks from here. And we will be moving in very shortly. I wanted to update you. Uh, we've had some delays with permits and whatnot. And so um, we're hoping to start construction on the downstairs the next two weeks. And so it's probably going to be January. I know we had talked about November, maybe December, but it's probably going to be January when we're in. But how many know God's timing is perfect? Um, he knew that we needed to wait a little longer. And so we'll hopefully be in in the new year, early new year. But I really felt like God, he put this series on our heart um, of just, we need to be all in in this season, church. We need Project Church, all of you. And some of you are like, this is my first time. Well, we need you to be all in. Uh, we live in a consumer Christian culture where a lot of people got one foot in the world, one foot with God. Um, we're straddling the fence. And, uh, and I believe in this series and over these next four weeks, God wanted to challenge us that so we say, I'm all in. And our indomitable future means, indomitable means like you cannot lose. Um, you will be victorious. And how many of you know I've read the end of this book and, and he wins, we win. And so I want to encourage you to come back for the next four weeks. Bring someone with you. It's going to challenge us. Um, man, it's going to be incredible. I cannot wait. And this is going to set us up for the new year and all that God 
has in store for us over these next few few years. So um, super exciting, but uh, great to see you guys. Hope week is happening, you guys. I got the shirt on. Um, if you haven't signed up, throw that slide up real quick. Here's what's cool about uh, modern day uh, technology. If you just open your camera app, I just opened my camera app. If you just aim it at that QR code, the link pops up. You can tap it, and then you have all the projects you can sign up for. So literally open your camera app and aim it at that QR code. You might have to zoom in a little bit and the link will pop up at the top. It's so cool. Isn't this neat what we can do today? And then you can sign up. But we also have paper signups. Sign up. We got projects all week long, every day of the week, starting this afternoon. We're going to release hope all over this community. You can get a shirt. We're actually, I think we're basically out of shirts today already um, because of the 930 service. But if you show up for a project, there will be t-shirts at each project for you, okay? So if you don't get a t-shirt today, that's okay. Still show up and you'll get your your t-shirt on the day of. Cool? All right, Hope Week. Let's release hope. Go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Um, I don't know about you, but I like what's familiar. Like, I like familiarity. I actually order the same thing at In-N-Out every time I go, right? I get a double-double, add pickles, no onions, fries, and a pink lemonade every single time. Every time without fail. I'm a creature of habit. I like what's familiar. I'll go to the gym. And one reason I actually hate the gym is because I never mix up the gym. And I go to the gym and every week I do the same exact workout on the same exact days. And now I'm at the point now where I just don't like going, but I just go because I know I need to. Like I do leg day every Monday. I know some of you don't believe that, but I do do legs occasionally. You're like, I've seen, I seen those skinny jeans, Caleb. Um, I do legs every Monday, right? Like, and, and so familiarity, I like it because I'm comfortable with it. I'm familiar with it. We, we live in this culture of comfortability, and as a result, a lot of us are just stuck in and focused on what is familiar. And, uh, you know, there's a saying, though, that's out there that's familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard this? Familiarity breeds contempt, which means that because of being in what's familiar, you actually can start to despise it, like how I feel about the gym. You can start to dislike it. Why? Because of the familiarity of it. It breeds this contempt within you. And I want to teach to you today, and I want to talk to you, and the title of my message is The Failure in the Familiar. The Failure in the Familiar. Because what happens here is we come to Mark chapter 6, and Jesus goes back to his hometown. This is the town that he grew up in. It's a town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a town of 300 people, small town. Everyone knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. They all knew Jesus since he was a child, and they say most likely he lived there till he was about 30 years old. And there's this familiarity with Jesus, with his family, with his background that changes how they perceive Jesus. So let's read Mark chapter 6. I want to read verse 1 through 6. It says this. He went away from there, being Jesus, and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? 
How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Everybody say offense. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went, among, out, he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that you would let us leave here different and let us understand that you want to deposit something into us today. Raise our expectation. Maybe we came in here to, to check a box off a list. I pray that we would expect something from you today right here in this place. We love you and it's in your name we pray. And everybody said amen. So listen, faith is very powerful. Would you agree? So last week, Chrissy taught on this woman with an issue of blood and how because of her faith, she reached out and she thought, if I can just touch Jesus, just touch his garment, I know I'll be healed. So she reaches out, she goes, she fights through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, she's healed. The same way there's this man, Jairus, and he goes to Jesus, he says, my daughter is sick, she's dying, I need you to come heal her, I know you can do it. Jesus shows up, the girl has died on the way, on the journey. But Jairus believes, and Jesus walks in the room, says, little girl, wake up. She wakes up. She's alive. They celebrate. Faith is powerful. In the same way, how many of you know unbelief is also powerful? A lack of faith is also powerful. A lack of faith or an unbelief can actually affect the atmosphere of a room. It can affect you and affect what you need, what you're looking for. So Jesus brings his disciples on a 25-mile journey. Jesus has set up his <coughs> ministry um, home base in Capernaum. Capernaum was a larger town of about 10,000 people. And he says to them, after healing this woman, healing this man's daughter, he says, hey, disciples, come with me. We're going to go back to my hometown. We'll head back to Nazareth. This is a 25-mile journey. And so they embark on this hometown. Now, I'm expecting Jesus. He's going home. Um, you guys ever, like, you remember the time you were away for a while and you came back home and the feeling you had, the excitement that came with it. I mean, this is like Bieber going back to Canada. This is like Drake going to Toronto, all right? This is like Oprah going back to Milwaukee. Come on. I mean, this is the home going. And uh, I'm guessing Jesus is expecting this, this, this party, Right? And he comes back to his home and it is not what he experiences. So Jesus, he begins to, to teach in the synagogue. And uh, I, I want you to understand that Jesus had actually done the same thing one year earlier. So I want us to go to the book of Luke really quickly. Luke chapter 4. And we actually know in terms of timeline, this is one year prior to Jesus coming back to his hometown in Nazareth here in Mark chapter 6. So here's what happens. He comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, so very similar situation, on the Sabbath day, stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And so I want us to skip forward. So he reads this passage of scripture from Isaiah, opens the scroll, skip forward, go forward, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, stop. And all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So after Jesus teaches, they get mad. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So this gives us a little more context that one year prior, Jesus goes back to his hometown. He teaches and he actually says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's like, and that's me. I'm the one that's been anointed to preach the good news. Calls out the religious leaders and they get mad. And then they say, let's go. They bring him to the top of a hill, and they're literally going to kill Jesus. But Jesus, because he's a savage, he just turns the smoke and just goes right through him. He's like, peace, I'm out. It says he just passes through them. We don't know how he did it, but we know that he just walked through and was like, no, you you can't touch me, all right? Um, and, and, And goes on. So now, fast forward one year, Jesus grabs the disciples. He's like, we're going back to my hometown. So already his hometown was on edge towards him and about him. And he comes back to this hometown, and he's wanting to release something. Now, it was normal for a religious leader in this day, uh, a rabbi, so to say, a teacher, that they would go from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, and they would teach. And this is what Jesus does. And the same thing happens in both instances. They're in awe of his wisdom. They're in awe of his teaching. The the message of Jesus has spread. I mean, Jesus is famous now. Everywhere he goes, crowds follow him. He had just taught a few verses back in chapter 5, and they say ten to 20,000 people were there as he stood on the boat preaching the gospel, teaching about himself. Thousands of people follow him. And now he comes to his hometown, a town of 300 people, where he had grown up, where you think would be the greatest reception, and he receives the exact opposite. Why? Because familiarity causes us to do weird things. Familiarity causes us to do some strange things. Some of you, what you loved about your wife when you first met her now annoys you about your wife. Why? Because that familiarity. Some of you ladies, your husband was, oh my goodness, he's so mysterious. And you married him, and this like just drew you to him. He's just this mysterious man. Oh my goodness. And now a few years later, you realize, like, no, nah, this dude just doesn't talk. Like, he doesn't communicate. And so that familiarity has now begun to breed contempt. And you start to perceive differently. You see people differently. Why? Because of familiarity. Jesus is rejected in his hometown, not because of his power, not because of his gifting, not because of his talent, not because of his authority, not because of all the amazing things he's doing, because he's doing amazing things. You would think they would celebrate and receive him, but because of the familiarity they had with him. And so what I believe is familiarity is a trap. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about fighting the trap of familiarity. Number one today, we have to give credit where credit is due. I'm talking about celebrating the people around us. What happens, verse 2 and 3, maybe you missed it, but we got to really look at this. Because the first shade is thrown at Jesus by his people, his hometown The people that have known him since he was a child. Go to verse number two. It says on the Sabbath he starts to teach. And they're like, wow, where did he get this wisdom? 
How is he doing these mighty works? And then they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, first shade thrown, I want you to understand the context. This is a very misogynistic culture. But men were always labeled by who their father was. Men were all, I mean, if you read the scriptures, you even see, like, they'll say, you know, there's so and these two men, the sons of this man. It's how they labeled them, identified them. And here, they actually say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And identify him by his mother. Now, why would they have done that? They did this because the rumor mill had started. Because for years, they had talked about, yo, we don't even know who this dude's daddy is. I don't know if you heard, but Mary was pregnant before they got married. I don't know if you heard, but nobody really knows who the father is. Now, we know the father was the Holy Spirit. But in this day, they didn't. And so they had talked, and the rumors had spread, and they had looked at this man, and they said, oh, he's one of those illegitimate children. And so when he comes to town in power and authority, healing, teaching with wisdom, they don't see what God is doing through him. They see the label that they put on him as a child. And some of you can relate to this, can't you? Because of what's put on you, been put on you. But what I wanted to say to you is we have to celebrate those around us. Familiarity breeds contempt. I was actually talking to a guy a couple weeks back, and he had played in high school with an NFL player. And he's telling me about him, and he said, yeah, actually, he wasn't even that good. And I was like, say what? And he was like, yeah, he wasn't that good. I mean, it was, it was just politics. Like, he was in the right place at the right time. The right people saw him. And so then he got, you know, a scholarship, and then he was at the right college in the right system. And then because of that system and being under the right coach, then the NFL scouts saw him. And then he got, you know, drafted, and now he's in the NFL. And, um, you know, it, it was all that. But, like, he wasn't even that good. I was actually better than him. And I was like, my man is tripping. Like, he's in the NFL. Let me tell you, he is good. Why could he not accept the gifting? What? Because of the familiarity. He'd known him since he was in junior high. He played alongside him in high school. So to him, he wasn't even that good. In the same way, we do this to people in our lives. Familiarity with someone can actually cause us to discount someone's accomplishments, to discount someone's power, to discount someone's authority. And Jesus has to call it as it is. He says, I only don't have honor here. My own hometown. I mean, I'm picturing American Idol homecoming episodes. You guys ever remember those? I used to watch American Idol. I always loved the last few episodes. They're down to three. And when they're down to three, they go home. And when they go home, I mean, they throw a parade. They got them, like, on a convertible going down Main Street. And they're usually from small towns. And, and, and you know, Mrs. Smith, their seventh grade teacher, is on the, you know, getting interviewed. I always knew Carrie, Carrie Underwood was going to make it big, you know. And I, I love those homecoming episodes. And I'm picturing Jesus, you know, he's rolling back into his hometown. That's how it should be. But that's not how it was. Why? Because of familiarity. We are a church, and we strive to be a church of honor. And what we mean by that is that we honor all those around us. We celebrate when our brothers and sisters celebrate. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. And we celebrate with those who celebrate. 
That's the kind of heart we have to have. But let me tell you, it's very easy in today's culture, comparison culture, to discount what God is doing through other people. To discount the blessings that other people are receiving. To start looking and saying, why do they have that and I not have that? Rather than giving credit to where credit is due. Celebrating the people around us. Let's be a church of honor. What is Jesus encountering? He doesn't encounter a homecoming party. He encounters a rejection party. And some of you can relate to this in your life. Because the people that are closest to you that should be the most for you have all often been against you. The people that should be celebrating when good things happen in your life, they actually don't want to discount anything good that happens in your life. Not us as the church. Let's give credit where it's due. Let's celebrate when our brothers and sisters celebrate. Let's honor what, when we can and honor the best we can in every situation and circumstance. Second, if we're going to fight the trap of familiarity, we have to stay sensitive in our faith. Do you hear me? you got to stay sensitive in your faith. So, so what happens? It wasn't a lack of Jesus' power that caused him not to perform any miraculous signs here. You see, if you go to verse 5, it says that he did not perform any powerful works. He just healed a couple sick people. And I, I wanted us to hear this because God chooses to work in response to our faith or lack thereof. Does that mean Jesus couldn't have done miraculous works? No. Does that mean Jesus didn't have power to perform miracles in, in Nazareth? No. But our God works in response to his people's faith. That's why your faith matters. That's why how you approach God matters. And he didn't do, Jesus didn't do what he could have done in that city if the people had just believed. You know, I was thinking about it the other day, and a few of my friends have visited me here in Sacramento. And I love Sacramento. And uh, they, they came here, though, not for Sacramento. You know, when my friends visit me, they don't come because, like, Sacramento is a destination. They come because they want to go to Lake Tahoe. Or they come because they want to go to San Francisco. And so they come and they visit me and they're like, Caleb, man, we got to go to Lake Tahoe. It's on my bucket list. I've been dying to go to Lake Tahoe. I got to go to the city. I got to go to San Francisco. Can you take me there? And I'm like, yeah, all right, sure. So I roll up to Lake Tahoe. I'm like, here's the lake. It's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, there's some mountains. Like, whatever. Oh, let's go to the city. Yeah, San Francisco. I mean, it's all right. It's kind of cold in my opinion. Always foggy, a little windy. Like, I I'm not a fan. But Sure. Here you go, and, and, and I give them their tour. Why? Because what's in my backyard is on other people's bucket list. What, what is in my backyard that I take actually for granted is on other people's, like, checking it off, the list of places they want to see. In the same way, it's very easy to begin to take for granted the things of God and the move of God. It's very easy to take for granted even this church. Or we go, yeah, wow, another Sunday somebody raised their hand to receive Jesus. Like, that's just what happens. Instead of, no, the Bible says that when one person's name is written in the Lamb's book of life, the angels in heaven rejoice. Can, should we take that for granted or should we celebrate that every week people come in here and they encounter God and, and chains are broken and people's lives are set free and people give their lives to Jesus and miracles happen, but, but it's just normal. We just take it for granted. Listen, listen to me. Don't allow your miracle 
to become trapped in your familiarity. Because I think that there are miracles that some of us want and we need and we're desperate for, but we've become so familiar to the church, so familiar to the things of God, so familiar to God moving to his spirit that we become numb to it. And if you become numb to the things of God, numb to his word, numb to, his, to worship, numb to his presence, numb to his spirit speaking, let me tell you, you will trap your miracles. And we cannot be trapped. We cannot allow our miracles to be trapped. Why? Because God wants to release them. And this world needs them. And God wants to use them. We have to stay sensitive in our faith. Here's what I mean. Every day say, God, may I be thankful for what you're doing. God, may I be thankful that I get to praise you. We take for granted the fact that we have freedom to worship. And there are countries all around the world where, where Christians are literally being killed for their faith. And we take it for granted. I don't want it to be familiar. I don't want to stop being amazed by the power of God. I don't want to take the blood of Jesus for granted in my life. That every day I deserve death. But because I serve a God that gave his life for me, I receive life. That paid the price that I should have paid, I receive life. May I not take that for granted. May I not take the cross of Jesus for granted. May I not take the blood of Jesus for granted. And it's so easy to be like, well, I'm a Christian. It's good. It's cool. It's good. You know, it's nice. I know where I'm going. No, daily, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for grace that I don't deserve. Thank you for grace that I shouldn't have received, but for your love, but for your sacrifice. Third, if we're going to fight the trap of familiarity, sometimes we got to change the scenery. You know, sometimes to be used by God, we got to leave what's familiar. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but he didn't stay in Nazareth. He actually set up his uh, home base of operation in Capernaum, 25 miles away. Why? I think he needed to change the scenery. He knew that in that city, the people would not receive him, nor celebrate him, nor honor him, nor rejoice in him, nor believe in him. And so he says, I'm going to go. And so he moves 25 miles east of Nazareth to the city so he can set up his home base so he can minister. And the people, they see Jesus different when he comes back. Jesus was accepted more by the sinners than the religious. He was accepted more by those who, who said, I'm broken and messed up than those that said, oh, I follow the law. Listen, I want the people closest to me to know the true me. I want the people close to me to say Caleb's the same way when he's up there on that stage as he is when I sit at home with him. My eight-year-old son, he still thinks I'm the coolest. And I'm relishing this for a few more years. Like, he'll tell me, Dad, you're cool. You're so cool. I'm like, I know. Thank you, son. <laughs> Dad, it's so cool how tall you are, how you just. Dad, it's so cool you're good at bass. Like he'll, he'll tell me all these things. Still thinks I'm cool. I don't want my family, though, to think, just think I'm cool. I want my family to say his character is what he says it is. His character matches all the things that he preaches. He lives what he says. That's what I want. But sometimes we got to get a change of scenery in our life 
to release the power that God wants to release in us. And I know that some of you in your faith, maybe you're feeling a little stuck. Maybe you've become a little numb as I talked a moment ago to the things of God. What I want to say to you is that having something familiar can be dangerous because eventually it can be taken away. And so we cannot allow the things of God and the power of God to become familiar in our lives. It has to, there has to be a constant state of awe. Because familiarity is a trap. And we, become, we can become numb to that which we're familiar to. And so I just want to challenge you. Some of you need to do something different in your faith. This week, you need to show up at Hope Week. You weren't going to, but you need to. Why? Because it's going to awaken something in you. You need to maybe wake up in the morning and spend some time in prayer in the Word because you've been feeling desperate, you've been feeling empty, you've been feeling far from God. you got to change the scenery. We have to make changes to, be, to maintain our desperation and our connection to our Savior. Fourth, if we're going to fight the trap of familiarity, we got to move on. Everybody say move on. I was reading and studying it, and I came across John chapter 1, verse 45. And what happens here is Philip, um, he hears about Jesus, and he goes to a, a prophet named Nathaniel, and he says, did you hear? There's this man, Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And here's Nathaniel's response. Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Did you see that? This is the mentality about Nazareth. The mentality of Nazareth is that nothing good could come out of it. The mentality about Nazareth is that nothing good has ever come from there. And I think that that's the mentality of some of you in this place. But not about another person, about yourself. The reason they rejected Jesus was because they'd already rejected themselves. They'd already discounted themselves. They'd already said in their minds, like, nothing good comes from our city. We're a town of 300. They actually say that Nazareth was most likely not very spiritual, not very, like, devout in their Judaism and their following of God. And so this is a godless city. And so these people believe that nothing good can come from them. Just like Nathaniel said it himself, what good can ever come from Nazareth? And some of you disregard and reject yourself because you know you. You know how jacked up you are. You know how much sin you've had. You know the mistakes of your past. You know the family you come from. You know the city, the town you maybe grew up in. You know everything about yourself, and you begin to think and have the mentality that nothing good can come from you. Why? Because you're familiar with yourself. And you know the truth. So you tell God, and you tell yourself, and you tell others that nothing good can come from me. But I want you to hear that Jesus is limited in your life because you're trapped in what you were. 
Some of you are limiting Jesus and what he can do in you, what he can do through you, what he can do around you because you're trapped in what you were, in the failure of your past, in that moment that happened to you as a child that you had no control over, but someone hurt you. You're trapped in in, in all the sins that had you bound up for many years. You're trapped in the family you grew up in, in the dysfunction that you've always known. You're trapped because of what you were. But here's what I believe. God wanted to declare today in this place, that's what you were, but it's not who you are. I have set you free. I have made you new. You are a new creation in me. I am your father. You are my sons and my daughters. Don't limit Jesus any longer because Jesus is on you and in you and flowing through you. And we cannot allow what's happened to us or in our past to dictate what God's going to do in us in the future. And you've, you've done what so many of us have done. You've limited God. You've limited what God can do through you. Why? Because of who you were. God's saying that's not who you are. That's who you were. It's not who you are. We're trapped in the familiarity of our pain. It's become all we know. It's become our identity. We associate our entire mindset identity with that, and it's holding us back from our purpose, from our call, and from our miracle, if the band would come back. And I wanted to say to you today, that's not who you are. Somebody needed to hear this in this place today. That's not who you are. Somebody need to break off a mindset in this place. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. I want to close today. The final way to fight the trap of familiarity is to reject others' rejection. See, I, I, I grew up playing basketball, and so one of the best things in the world is a rejection. When you reject someone, they bring it in, you say, not in my house. You send it back. Return to sender. Right? That's one of the greatest things. But some of you have been rejected like Jesus was rejected. Rejected by people you didn't know or rejected by those that were closest to you. The people that should have accepted you and celebrated you and rejoiced with you and believed in you have rejected you. They say, well, nothing good comes from our family. You could never be a good father because you didn't have a good father. You could never graduate from college because no one in our family has ever graduated from college. You could never get away from that sin because we have generational bondage in that sin. And you've been rejected by people, maybe those who are closest to you. But can I tell you something today, church? Here's what I've seen often. Others' rejection is more about their projection. They're projecting on you what they think about themselves. Just like the people in Nazareth, they're projecting on Jesus What they think about themselves, nothing good can come from here. We're just a town of 300. We're a country podunk town. Nothing good comes from here. The Messiah from Nazareth, I think not. 
their rejection is a projection of how they perceive themselves. That's why as Christians, we have to begin to perceive ourselves correctly so that we don't reject and project our insecurities onto others. And that's why as followers of Christ, we reject the rejection of other people. Because so often we know it's not even about us, it's about them. And I'm not going to be bound up by what other people's issues are and that they're putting onto me. I'm not going to think twice about that. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. You see, people will try to tell you who you are, who you should be, what you can do. They try to tell Jesus, I mean, I read it, didn't I? I read earlier, they said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? We don't even know who his daddy is. He's just a carpenter. He just works with wood. Isn't this the carpenter? But let me tell you, Jesus' rejection leads to something greater. And hear me, church, there are rejections that have happened in your life. People that have rejected you, but I want you to believe with me today that it will always lead to something greater. It will always lead to something better. That's why when rejection comes, we just keep it moving. Reject the rejection of others. I want to declare today in this place, because some of you are trapped in the familiar and this familiarity with yourself with what people have spoken over you has negated and detracted from what God has for you and I wanted you to hear me today that something good can come from Nazareth something powerful can come from Nazareth something powerful can come from the family you were raised in Something incredible can be done through a person who grew up in the situation that you grew up. Something powerful can flow out of the sin of your past. That's not the end of the story. That's just one chapter on the journey. We cannot allow man's rejection to determine our direction. And men will try to reject you. People will hate on you. People will detract and, and, and say negative things about the dreams and the plans and the purpose and, and all that you're trying to accomplish. But we cannot allow that to determine the direction that God has for us. I want to close. I'm supposed to be done here in this verse. I was supposed to stop at verse 6 because um, in a few weeks I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. But I just felt like, man, we got to close with this. You see, this isn't the end of the story. And some of you need to do what Jesus did and what he told his disciples to do. So let's read a little more, a few more verses in chapter 6. Okay, you good? We're almost done. And he called the 12 and began to send them out by two, two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, say receive, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, 
shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I feel the spirit of Taylor Swift in this place. Some of you have been rejected. Some of you, there are people that have tried to tell you who you can be, what you can do, what you can accomplish for God. And here's what God wanted to say to you. It's time to dust it off. It says shake off the dust from your feet and keep going. Shake off the dust. And he, he actually goes on and says, as a testimony against them. Jesus is saying, listen, they don't determine the direction of your life. They don't determine the purpose over your future. They don't determine all that I have in store for you. No, shake off the dust and let's keep going. Shake off the dust and let's keep moving. Shake off the dust and let's keep preaching. The world and people will try to reject you. They'll try to dictate your future. They'll try to tell you who you can be, what you can do. And we as God's people, we just shake it off. We shake off that dust. We say, no, not on my watch. You don't determine my direction. I have a God that does. I serve a God that's given me all authority and all power and all presence and all spirit. And he tells me what my future is. Today, church, some of you in this room need to shake it off. You need to dust it off. Just shake off some of that, some of that rejection, some of that failure. Some of it you've put on yourself. The failure in the familiar. You see, the failure is that there comes a time for all of us when we must break away from that which is familiar so we, we can walk into the future and the miracle that God has for us. And I believe God has amazing things in store for your life. Amazing things in store for your future. Don't let the contempt, the discouragement, the rejection of those that are maybe familiar with you dictate or determine the future that God has for your life. Stand to your feet, church. We're going to sing this song as a declaration to our God. We're going to sing this song declaring today in this place that God determines my direction, not man. And some of you, while you sing, you just need to move your hands a little bit because it's a physical representation of shaking off that which people have put on you. Some of you need to shake the dust off your feet as you sing because for too long you've let people determine your direction. You've let man's rejection hinder you and impede you from the progress and the purpose that God has for you. So let's worship church, let's praise church, and let's shake off the dust of those who've rejected us. Come on, lift your voices in this place. This word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.